In this episode, we're going to talk about life in the future of Star Trek. This is STA Engage. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. RPG Jeff Harvey. In the last episode, we talked about how to create and use values or even abuse them a little bit for Star Trek Adventures. If you missed that episode, it's a good one. Go back, check it out. There's a ton of great stuff, just like always. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what it would be like to live in the Star Trek universe uh, and more specifically what life aboard a starship would probably be like. Um, there is a great article by Jester quote-unquote Jester David, over at uh, ContinuingMissionSTA.com. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. And speaking of ContinuingMissionSTA.com, here is my co-host, the immaculate Michael Dismuke. Oh, I'm immaculate. It's the Golden Girls shirt. They, yes. keep, me, they keep me clean. It's a different I word every time, too. Just <laughs> keep that and keep track of it. You'll see. <laughs> I got oh, plans. Why? I don't know. It's just a weird thing I do. So... Uh, the goal of this show is to help fans of Star Trek and of role-playing better engage with the Star Trek franchise, the Star Trek Adventures role-playing game, and the community at large. This show is brought to you by the letter D, the number seven of nine, which I think she already did this one episode earlier, but it's okay. Uh, and the support of people like you. So if you like what we do, like, subscribe, share, and support us on Patreon. Um, you can find out more about the folks who sponsor the show and uh, who help put, us to, put all the things together. Um, our production team at Studio Tembo, the fine, fine folks over at ContinuingMissionsSTA.com, and our primary sponsor for Season 1, Adventure Inc. Uh, just follow the links below. Um, so before we get started, though, I do want to be clear. This is the first of a two-part episode. Um, start here. Next week, we're going to we're gonna revisit a lot of what you hear in the show. Uh, well, we're not going to revisit it. But it's going to reference a lot of what we're doing today, um, and you can learn how to apply more of what you're going to read today. Today, I'd like to think of it as the general theme for today is knowing the universe that you're sending your characters into. So we always talk about, about world building in RPGs. Today, it's about what that world is in the Star Trek universe and how you might familiarize your players with it. Right. Uh, so uh, I guess where the best place to start is, what was it like to be a Starfleet officer or enlisted personnel? Um, to be a Starfleet officer is to be devoted to the ideals of peace, exploration, uh, scientific pursuit, and the betterment of self and community. That's right. See, I like to think of it in more heroic terms. All my years of Marvel Comics collecting is you are the hero as a Starfleet officer standing behind those who standing between those who cannot defend themselves and those evil, tyrannical forces that the universe spawns on a daily basis. Right. Throughout the Federation, uh, members of Starfleet are generally known as well-rounded, knowledgeable um, about not only their duties, but also other cultures and dedicated to the ideals of truth, fairness, and equality, uh, something that is uh, strongly uh, lacking sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jeff, one, one of the issues I, I think I didn't know when I signed up to be a member of Starfleet is though how boring every day would be you know we, we get these 30 minute or 40 minute 44 minute episodes of action and stuff like that but the fact of the matter is i i think that most of the time we're just walking through halls and pushing buttons and i think lower decks star trek lower decks probably summed up basically what it's like to be uh, a starfleet officer for most people and you know it can be pretty maddening sometime i would think 
Yeah. Fortunately, there is a lot of recreation aboard a starship. You can work out, you can do a lot of training. You might have holodeck access depending on the generation you're in or yeah. if you're an officer or not. I, I suspect a lot of enlisted people wouldn't have access to the holodecks. If I was on the Enterprise, I think I would actually killed myself. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that one. Now, uh, TNG, Voyager, okay, I got the holodeck. I, I have a creative mind. I can go a lot of places. Right. You also get lounges, obviously, in media. One thing we don't talk about a lot of in Star Trek is like what happened to movies, you know, uh, podcasts even. It's a thing we don't talk about. And it's, it's, I'd be interested to see more of what that is in the future. You mean um, like, are they producing new ones? Or? Are they producing new ones? I mean, you've, you've got to be able to watch movies or at least go back and watch old movies. There's got to be a nice theater aboard the Enterprise, right? It's a huge oh, well, ship. There's well, dolphins aboard all, the ship. Well, the NX-01, Archer's Enterprise, they had movie night, if we recall oh, that. Yeah, that's true. And then we also know that Tom and Balana, he used to make her watch 20th Century Fairs. And of course, holodecks were hollow programs that people could sell and like, it's like going to the movies, except you can interact. <laughs> sure, sure. Someone's got to clean that up afterwards. Um, I know. You also get parks and zoos. Like like I said, the uh, the Enterprise D actually has dolphin tanks on it. So, you know, there's a lot of things to do aboard a starship. So I did not know that. Now I'm going to have to research that. Oh, okay. I've, I've got the whole deck plans. It's ridiculous what they put oh, on that dang. ship. That's amazing. Okay, so so in building this world, then we have to figure out what life is like in the future, because you can't have a player go in and think that they have things, anything like we see nowadays. First of all, what about the almighty dollar, bro? Well, it's a post scarcity economy, right? So there is no more money. There's no more need for money because you have everything you would need. There's unlimited power. I mean, that's true. That's true. And I guess, I guess since you can fly to any planet, you don't really have to fight over mineral resources. You just need a really good sensor suite and detect where those diamonds are and, right. and just go dig. Right. And there's no limitation on transportation. You can just go anywhere you want, anytime you want, pretty much. Oh, oh my favorite, the replicators. Imagine anytime you want a bacon deli Supreme from round table, which they canceled in like the early two thousands, you could still order it. That you, would be, you can get digging. McDonald's breakfast at any time. <laughs> why, why do we both pick fast food? We can have anything. We, we pick fast food. That's really disgusting. <laughs> well, you know, um, uh, daily life in, in Starfleet would be, I think, or just in the Federation, really, um, you'd have all of your basic needs provided for free, essentially. Unemployment is largely, or sorry, employment would largely be optional. Um, in, in place of traditional jobs, I think most people would, would work towards self-improvement um, with a thought of bettering themselves and humanity as a whole, uh, yeah. Exploring yeah. the arts and sciences and philosophies. I think another thing too, though, you know, they always show on Star Trek episodes, people traveling from here to there. I think about Waxana Troy, who seems to be able to catch a transport anywhere. Right. And, you know, do you have to, like, are there waiting lists? Like, do you have to put your name on a year ahead? Are there that many transports? You can travel anywhere you want, but how frequent, you know? Right. And living well, it wouldn't matter because you could live in anywhere you wanted to and just transport to the, your favorite city. Like you could be in New York tonight and go to San Francisco tomorrow to hang out with, I don't know what's in San Francisco because I've never been there. Uh, <gasps> see a bridge. There's a bridge. <laughs> there is a bridge. It's awesome. You got to come sometime. Um, I, I, what's cool is you don't have to carry luggage because once you get there, you basically can replicate whatever you wanted to wear appropriate to the climate. So again, those replicators, unlimited energy needs. Awesome. Right. Right. And you'd have these huge towering sprawl cities, but you'd also have these sprawling rural landscapes. We see that in Star Trek Picard where you have yeah. these big vineyards and you can choose the lifestyle you want to live, I think. And and then if you decide you want to head downtown to catch a show, you want to catch Hamilton, go, go beam over. Yeah. There's a lot of green roofs. I notice in the new star Trek too. So they yeah. have vineyards on top of skyscrapers, which is 
kind of cool. But I, I have the the million dollar question. I don't know why my mind always goes here, and and I'm gonna. I wrote an article about it. Uh, but who, who cleans the toilets? Well, I mean, it's not clear, but I would think that all basic labor jobs would more or less have been eliminated. You know, um, it stands to reason that robotics, replication, and advanced AIs would do most of the labor. I mean, we're almost there now. So well, tell O'Brien, he was so grumpy all the time. I don't <laughs> think he knew anything about robotics. Don't have them. That is one of his focuses in the Star Trek Adventures game. Yeah. But I guess since you don't have to earn a living, you had talked about that before. Most people would do something out of pride or love, like carpentry or something. They just want, they just want to have an authentic looking rocking chair in their house, I guess. Um, and, and most jobs would be highly skilled. I would guess the robots are doing most of the menial jobs um, because you know, those, those, entry-level jobs are not, there won't be anyone at the drive-through window. That's what I'm saying. There's right. not going to be anyone at the drive-through window. Right. Um, as for crime, I think it would still be an issue, but with things like healthcare and all your basic needs met, um, the people, people, uh, uh, poverty and education would be abundant. Poverty would be eliminated and education would be abundant. So you could, you could learn all things. So the, the, the two things that are are often touted in the 20th and 21st century as the, the the golden bullet, the magic bullet for crime, which are education and and wealth, they're no longer really an issue. Um, I think there would still be some crime. I, I think uh, you'd probably get a lot of crimes of passion. Um, you'd also get a lot of crimes of convenience. Um, that thing over there is there and I like it. I'm going to take it. Right. Uh, Those Ferengis are always stealing stuff. Sure. Um, and you also get, I think, a lot of crimes of enjoyment. I think you'd get people, it's, you still end up with people who like to murder. I think it's the thing that would happen. Yeah, there's been a couple episodes about that. In fact, it's the criminal rehab that gets me, though. Like Tom Paris, you know, when Janeway went to go pick him up, he was basically at a spa in Cancun, and this was how he was serving out his sentence. And so, um, you know, I would think that they have more manual labor or community service. Like maybe you have to teach kindergartners over Zoom for, you know, a year as punishment. Right. (laughs) that, That would keep most people from committing a crime ever again. You know, it always bothered me they didn't just make Tom Paris Lacarna. You know, the, cause it's the same character. It's the same. He, he's in prison for, I don't know. Oh, they should have yeah. made him Lacarna. Okay. So, <laughs> so now I'm, as you mentioned, I'm from San Francisco. And so one of the biggest problems we have out here, sadly, is homelessness. So what, when you're creating this world and creating the vision for players, what about homelessness? Well, in theory, I think with free housing, uh, certain historical parts of and beautiful cities that would be would be more desirable but there really wouldn't be a housing crisis everyone would have a place to live yeah i i kind of would see also some general housing so you because of weather conditions and stuff like that and you talked about ready access to transporters i could see someone saying you know i'm going to beam to rio for the winter and find a place there it doesn't have to be big because i'm not collecting stuff we're not really collecting stuff anymore i just need a place to lay my head while i dig in the museums and all that stuff. But I would imagine that home space gets smaller and with access to transporters, people are a little bit more mobile. Yeah. Yeah. Housing would also probably be managed on a first come first serve basis for the really desirable places like the downtown San Francisco and the highest floors, you know, Um, some professional skills I think would, would, or public service like in Starfleet or as a firefighter or other essential jobs, um, they might provide a higher priority uh, for demand locations. But again, when you can live literally anywhere you want and just transport to your favorite location or your hangout or your job, um, location, location, location is almost not, a, not important anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah. Now we've talked a lot about, you know, replicators and stuff and we always need to get it, but sometimes you just want to go out for a pizza. I, I'm sure that even when you're home in the future and you can get anything delivered to you, you still want sometimes the ambiance. So where do I get a pizza in this future world? Well, uh, I mean, we've seen Cisco's, right? But uh, as you get into the 22nd century and beyond, food becomes really mostly a non-issue. So you can early space travel anyways, you, you'd get resequenced proteins, which is basically to say 3D printed food uh, with fancy lasers that make the flavors for you. Um, and here, yeah, and here's something you don't want to think about when you're on the starship. As you drink that cold, refreshing glass of 52 Celsius water, or 32 degrees Celsius water, it was someone's pee yesterday. It was recycled. Right. <laughs> There's not really options. So all the water tastes great, but keep in mind, it's still some sort of Talaxian derivative. Right. Um, as replicators come along, though, everything gets recycled. Everything gets recycled. Everything gets recycled. Everything. Everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, if you, you no longer have any need. Even, even what's in Quark's hollow programs, even, even whatever yeah, happens. In everything Quark's gets recycled. <laughs> um <laughs> So you no longer have a need or a want or a limitation on any a food of any kind. You know, one interesting thing I think is dieting could even be uh, managed easier through talking to your doctor and having him program a, a, a replicator series for you that the, the replicators themselves will force you to diet. Like they'll produce food, but either will lack calories and probably flavor because that's where all the flavor is, wow. is calories. Um, but it can also limit like, are you eaten this many calories today? You're done for the day. You can't get any more food out of the replicator. Can't they just beam the fat off of me? Can't they be beam the fat cells? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they'll wave a light at it. It's fine. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Okay. Now here's the big question. We're in the materialistic 20, 21st century here. Jeffrey, what's up with bling? Where do I get my bling in the future? Uh, I, again, I think most general goods would be replicated. Oh Anything my God. Want. Okay. Okay. Now, here's the, always my question is like, you know, we have these museums full of fine art and, and somebody may want to throw back Lamborghini, 99 Lamborghini or something like that. All this craftsmanship. Um, when you can replicate it, why bother? What do you think? Why would we even bother about that? Well, I, I think um, I think the, the, the most important reason to, to do to have the craftsmanship that continuing would be the self uh, self-improvement and in the idea of creating something is cathartic and not only that, but it's genuinely satisfying to create. And if you become good at creation, you can create almost anything you want. So that's true. Yeah. So, so if we think about like a Jackson Pollock, you could replicate a Jackson Pollock, but, but then someone knowing you put the work in and the value, uh, then the question, you know, would, would go to who, who determines who gets what? Like, you, are you buying? Are you paying a million bucks for a Van Gogh? Or what do you... Right. Do you, I, th I think it would largely be based on who can appreciate the product the most, the your craftsmanship the most. I think and that's who I would yeah. give it to. Yeah, I think about maybe an entry into a national park. We go there to enjoy the beauty, you know, and, and it's sad that some people... It, the nicest views sometimes are the ones you don't have to pay for. It's a, a that nook you discover... And it's a gift that's given to us. So yeah, I guess that, that's a, I'm going to be soft and mushy for a second. It's kind of nice to know that people would put their work into something because of the love of the craft. And then they would be choosing to gift it to someone who really appreciates the value of that work that they put in. That's a nice universe to live in. I, I like that. I agree. Um, we then get into like leisure activities, right? So employment is optional. So you can literally do anything you want. Uh, what would you do? 
um, well, me, I exercise. I always think exercise is cool. So running, climbing, hiking, camping, these are available and accessible to everybody because they're not working so hard every day, nine to five and struggling to put food on people's you know plates. Then you can really enjoy the planet and the universe at this point. Right. And one of the nice things is you could, you could mark, you could, you could march, you could, you could hike in Appalachia and then take a stroll out to Mars and, you know, camp Olympus Mons. That would be, that would be amazing. Um, I think I most sports, I think most sports probably exist still too. You'd also get some new ones. I think you'd still have things like hockey and football and they might take on a different form than they do now, but uh, yeah, but then you're going to have, let's say I got to learn how to play Dom Jot. 3D chess, Stratagema, Tsunkatsi. I've got to remember Tsunkatsi, yep. fighting sport. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I'd also be interested in seeing more of like pre. I always wanted to know what Precy Squares really is. Like, Riker it's talks cool. about it all the time, and it's so dangerous. But uh, in one of my games, we actually had an intership league of Precy Squares. So whenever another ship would come near near us and they had a team, we'd we'd have a, a little... We never actually played it out, but we'd always have that that discussion of the, of the event of, uh, of oh, the Precy cool. Square game. We do, we do ping pong and tunkatsi on our ship. That's what we do. Nice. So I think this is cool. Again, from a world standpoint, you know, there's the article on continuing missions, but right. as a game master, understanding these facets creates a whole different layer. And for people who are new to, to uh, Star Trek adventures, being aware of what the world looks like, it's refreshing to think about and kind of exciting to build that universe. Huh? Yeah, I agree. Um, my final thought on this particular subject is um, look around the world you live in right now. And if you didn't have to earn a living, uh, if you didn't have to prove your value to society in order to survive, what would you do? Uh, if you could go anywhere, see anything, learn anything, where would your journey take you? Remember that Starfleet is the best and the brightest, the Federation's most emblematic beings from hundreds of worlds. Um, you, don't, you didn't have to join Starfleet if you didn't want to. So why did you? Uh, what part of your journey are you on that brought you here to this moment? You are, are you doing this because it's expected of you or are you an exemplar of your people, a bright beacon of, for lack of a better term, humanity? If you, if you can understand, you can use and understand the utopian setting um, that Gene Roddenberry created and what that means to your character, what, what motivates them and how are their, their values um, have been shaped by the world around them and like really what they want to achieve and experience and what they want to leave as legacy behind them. It's, it's all things that you are free to explore because the hardship of life is largely behind us now. I'm, I'm choked up and I want to be there and I'm going to get there somehow. <laughs> yeah. I want to live to see it. Um, and on that note, I think we're going to call it a wrap here. Next time on STA Engage, we're going to talk uh, every, we're everything we just learned today, and we're going to see how to apply that to crafting our characters and our narratives. Uh, it'll be both GM and player heavy, so it'll, it'll be a good one. Um, we're going to discuss uh, uh, all of that. So Yeah, and a great, great, this was just the foundation to right. us getting deeper into character creation, which we're, we're big on. Yeah, just laying the bricks. So stay tuned next time for Day Tripper or Magical Mystery Tour. And if anyone can tell me why I chose those two, uh, yeah, email me. It'll be fun to see why you think I did that one. Anyway, until then, uh, if you like what you hear and you want to help the show grow and thrive, uh, share this episode with one other person who might enjoy what we're doing. Uh, 
I think it'll help us out a lot. Um, so anyways, I am your host, Dr. RPG, Jeff Harvey. And on behalf of myself, my co-host, Michael Desmuke, uh, and everyone that works behind the scenes here, live long and prosper. Thank you.